Welcome back. This is Real Talk, which means we talk all things that are real, which is basically everything, unless you're going to be fake. And for that, I'm joined by Holly Hazelwood. How are you, Holly? Hi, Katie. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, despite being in lockdown as half the country is. Um, trying to make every day count as best as I can and stay busy and trying to stay positive through yeah, what is otherwise a pretty difficult time for a lot of people. By the way, thanks for remembering to dress appropriately in Maroon. <laughs> well, I, I, got the, I got the memo that you sent out. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, warm colours for winter, obviously. So I'm, I'm glad we could match and be twins for today. <laughs> Great taste. Now, people are probably going, who is Holly Hazelwood? We're about to tell you. Before we start, though, two things. Uh, solemnly swear to only tell the truth and be real in this podcast. Can you agree? I'm wearing my realness right now. So, yes, I solemnly swear. <laughs> Authentic as well. All right. And Holly, mm-hmm. one word to best describe yourself. Oof. Uh, I thought about this and I thought, oh, God, I don't want to sound too up myself or anything. But honestly, and we'll probably we'll get into a bit more about this, no doubt, as to why this word matters to me. But free uh, and I guess freedom, um, as you can tell, I'm transgender um, and yeah, after a long period of time in my life of questioning things about who I was, how I felt, the world, who would, how they would perceive if I ever said anything. Yeah, I've now, I've, I've taken the plunge and I'm out and I'm living freely, I guess, and free of a lot of previously held uh, misconceptions and stereotypes about societal encoded gendering and you know even down to clothes and what people look like and should look like and all the rules that we kind of inherently are just born into and we don't a lot of the time don't question it um it's only when something doesn't quite feel right you're like hmm is there a different way of doing this and you know there is (laughs) so free i think there's a lot of different ways that freedom and free means to me but yeah just inherently not having to hide who I am anymore and, and not being ashamed of how I feel, which I was for a really long time. Yeah, you have quite the story. And for me, I, for a word for you, I pick brave um, because I think it would have taken so much bravery to be free. And when I first came across your story as a colleague at NRL.com, I was blown away and I was also really proud of you. But the first thing I thought was, wow, she had to be so brave to make that decision. Um, so yeah, really, really proud of you. And we're gonna get into it and talk about your story. Like I mentioned, I met you at NRL.com and I actually met you as Scott. That's a past life. You're now Holly. Yep. Holly Hazelwood. Yep. Tell me mm-hmm. your story. Wow, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> this podcast might go on for a while. Okay, we'll rip through it in the shortened version. But funny that that, that number 20, because it probably took me about 20 years to kind of get to that point where I'm sitting in front of you now. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in central west New South Wales around Bathurst Orange, for anybody who knows that area. Um, I grew up on a cattle property. I played sport and things when I was a kid. And, and you know, I... I had what you would call a pretty typical kind of childhood, really growing up in that kind of area. Um, And it wasn't until my sort of middle teen years that, as I said before, I just started to question things and go, hang on, I've got these feelings and 
you know, I, I had intense shame and guilt and denial for a long period of time, like not just a year or two, but every time these, these feelings would surface and, um, you know, I, I grew up in an era where there wasn't the access to information that we have now. Smartphones weren't a thing. The internet basically didn't really exist. And so I, I didn't know what this meant. I thought, you know, I was the only one who felt like this, as a cliche as that sounds. And yeah, so this lived with me for a really long time. And, you know, I went to high school, went to university where I um, did sports journalism, which is kind of how you met me, in, you know, originally. And, um, you know, it, all through my 20s and, you know, on, on the surface, everything looked, you know, normal, whatever normal is nowadays, really, <laughs> or what society perceives to be normal. Or what's how society thought I should have been living. And, you know, you know, I didn't have that many complaints. But at the same time, you know, I use this analogy sometimes for me and it can be different for every queer person who who takes a long time to come to terms with who they are and how they feel. For me, all throughout this time, it, it felt like I had a silent screaming in the back of my mind. Like that's the only way I can kind of a, a metaphor to, to describe it. It was always there. It was always persistent. And, you know, you may not have been able to tell looking on the surface, but, you know, in a way, you know, behind closed doors, so to speak, you know, just that feeling was always there. And, um, you know, I had relationships come and go. And, you know, eventually got to my mid-30s, which is where I'm at now. And um, I kind of just didn't want to die with any regrets. You know, like time moves so quickly and, I didn't want to wake up one day and I'm 80 and then I go and then didn't take the time to try and figure out what did I, who was I? It's such an existential question. And a lot of the time, most people don't really need to answer that. But I guess really specifically for transgender people, it's, it's such an important question, but you don't really take the time to unpack what that means. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I split with my ex-wife, um, and we still maintain pretty good friends now, but we were just going in two different parts of, you know, our life, obviously. And it was at that point that I actually had the space. I'm like, okay, now I can finally figure out what all this means. Like, how important is this to me? And what action do I have to take to get to where I want to be once I figure that out? And it's all happened really quickly. Um, you know, I've only really been out as trans for a couple of years. And so I've packed a lot of stuff into that time that... Yeah, when, when we used to work together at NRL.com, you know, you probably, I think we last, I last sort of saw you in person and obviously COVID's kind of wrecked the last couple of years and things, but it might've been the open press day before the 2019 grand final when you, you came down to Canberra for, to do stand-up TV interviews with the Raiders guys. And, you know, I won't lie at that point, you know, I was pretty desperately unhappy because, you know, I... I, I, in my story that was printed on, well, published on NRL.com a, a couple of months ago, I used the analogy of like on the weekend, I would dress and look as I wanted, but then I'd have to like take nail polish off and stuff in case Elliot Whitehead looked down and saw that I had nail polish on when I was holding my phone near his face. Like these are legitimate things I had to think about. And so eventually, yeah, through a combination of self-reflection, a lot of which was over a long period of time but it it came acutely when I had the time the language to really kind of describe how I felt and then the more I got a taste of living like I am now I was like well I can't go back you know and and I think it was only reinforced with you know I kind of quirkily say I was girl on the weekend and and boy 
interviewing Raiders players during the week and I was miserable. You know, I was happy for two days of the week on the weekend and miserable for five. So I'm like, well, this ratio kind of sucks. Uh, At least make it 3.5 so, for each. I know. Can we, can we, yeah, halve it or something? Anyway, um, so yeah, and eventually it just sort of dawned on me. I'm like, look, this is, you, you've only got one life and I just wanted to see what this meant for me. And um, as, as difficult as it has been coming out and I've probably lost some people along the way, I still wouldn't change it because of that word freedom and free and being free. So that in a really very short nutshell, that's that's the last 20 years or so to get to where I am now talking to you. I'll never forget because I'm pretty sure it was about the first time that I'd met you at that open day and your eyes looked dead. Like I'll never forget because I hadn't met really? you before. And I, I thought that guy's so lovely, but he looks so sad. And so I think it must have hit me more when I saw the article. And I feel like emotional even reading, like thinking about reading your article now, because I think it made me so happy for you. Made me so happy that I could then relate to why you were so sad. And it was because you weren't you. And now you've got this bravery to be you and it's the most beautiful thing. It's it's kind of funny, like, you're not the first person to kind of make observations like that. I'm still really stunned when I hear that. And I'm kind of like, Jesus, was it that obvious? <laughs> and like, um, you know, like I was there doing my job and I was excited that the Raiders were having a great year and, you know, they're off to a grand final, which was, was great. And everyone, you know, that was an exciting literal day of open day. And, you know, all the guys were jumping out of their skin a couple of days out from the grand final. But yeah, you would think as a sports journalist, like that's that's what you live for, to be involved in bigger moments. And yet all you saw was somebody who was dead behind the eyes. And I'm like, it sounds melodramatic to people who um, haven't had to question themselves. But I mean, we've all been down and, and sad and people do suffer depression for different things in their life. And I guess I was at that point. It was just a very specific kind of depression, I guess. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, it keeps taking, steering me in different directions and I'm sure you can appreciate as a journo. There are so many things you said in that where I'm going, oh, I don't even know where to start. But when was the, all this stuff that was happening, that noise in the back of your head, mm, what did mm. it come down to? What was the final straw where you go, all right, I'm not me and I need to be me. I need to find me. It It was just a... I don't know if it was necessarily a, a straw that broke the camel's back kind of moment, but it was just not being able to tell people, like just kind of hiding from people. And I, I don't like keeping secrets from people. I never really have. And so, you know, I was keeping secrets from my ex-wife. Like I wasn't telling friends or family how I, I felt. And this was not just in just before I came out, but for years, like I was scared. I was legitimately really scared that, I wouldn't have, if I came out, I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't have a partner. I, my family would, um, you know, turn their backs on me. Like these were all legitimate concerns, um, that I had. And so I, I think it was just trying to take back control over my life though, in a way, not, not that I really lost control of my life. Um, but it was just kind of like living one full life instead of two half lives, which, you know, right before I fully came out, that's what it felt like. I was, I was just sort of a, a split person really. And so I wanted to kind of bring myself back to be whole and 
no matter how I looked and, you know, and, and what I was wearing, even still I can, you know, I'm not always glammed up and dressed up to the nines. Like, you know, when I roll out of bed in the morning, I, I still feel whole because I have accepted how I feel. And, you know, it took me a very, very long time to get there. And I still pinch myself. I still kind of go, holy crap, I've actually done it. <laughs> it's like after 20 years of, of not really knowing what this looks like, what, what on the other side of the looking glass to use an Alice in Wonderland analogy of like, I've stepped through that now and I'm like, oh, this is what the other side looks like. Cool. <laughs> so it was never one specific incident. It was just trying to like, look, again, we only, we're only around for so long. I just want to be happy. And, and this is what happy looks like to me. You can tell me if this is stepping too far, but the breakdown of your marriage, was that to do with you wanting to find yourself? Yes and no. Um, you know, obviously it was an element of it. Um, you know, my ex-wife kind of knew this was a part of me, but to not the extent that, like, I hid it from her. Like, I think that's part of why it came such a shock to friends, family, and everybody else I told. Like, I did such a good job at hiding and suppressing this that even for myself, I honestly felt like it was subconscious at times with me. So it wasn't like... I wasn't the stereotypical flamboyant kid who's going to turn out to be, grow up to be gay or trans or, or whatever. Like there were no signs, so to speak. So, um, obviously, you know, that was part of it. Um, but also we were just growing apart in different ways. Like we were together for about 10 years, but I mean, testament to her, for example, when I, um, went and saw my mum and dad, obviously, you know, she had a relationship as, as a mum-in-law and father-in-law. Um, we'd, we'd broken up by this point and there, it was kind of irreconcilable. It wasn't, unfortunately, anyway, we're going to come back from this because I was starting to accept more of myself. Um, but she still came with me to literally just sit there if I needed the emotional support in, when I was coming out to my family. So she, she drove three hours with me, sat there for half an hour, and then I was like, you know... And then she's like, do you need me to stay around? I'm like, oh, no, that's okay. You can go now. And then off she went. Um, so, you know, there's things like that. That's why I'll, I'll never be like, I can never be spiteful against her or hold it against her. I mean, sure, that was a really, really difficult time. And it, it kind of is difficult because I'm like, oh, well, I'm starting to embrace who I am. But some of my worst fears are coming to life in that people closest to me wouldn't be able to accept me fully so it was a, a double-edged sword and with some distance I you know I've been able to put that aside and you know part of me will always love her obviously but it's just not you know the most of who I am now if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no that makes sense and the family yeah. situation that's has it been a double-edged sword is the family situation as good as you'd like it to be uh in a word no um Again, I knew this would be hard on my family and I think this is part of the reason why it took me more than 20 years to kind of say anything about how I felt. Um, because I grew up in a regional area and there wasn't a lot of queer visibility of people. I didn't see a trans person walking down the street in Bathurst, <laughs> you know, like, or not outwardly, I guess, you know, in the, in the early 90s or something like that. So there was just no point of reference for my family. Um, and I knew that that was going to be one of the real sticking points before I told them. 
Um, like mum even joked, well not joked, but said, said that once I told them a little bit of time had passed and she had to actually Google what transgender meant or was. So she, she wasn't actually sure. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been really difficult because like we had, I, I had a reasonably close relationship with my family, but, um, like I haven't basically seen them since I came out to them, um, which was just before Christmas in 2019. Um, and I really, I haven't talked to my older brother. Um, I basically haven't talked to my dad well, he hasn't, they haven't talked to me as well. I should kind of rephrase that a little bit. Um, and mum is trying, you know, I, I will give mum credit for that. She's trying. Um, but it's kind of also one of the worst fears I had for a very long time manifested in terms of there hasn't been vitriol. There hasn't been spite or any anger thrown back in my face of like, the there are worst case scenarios than what I'm going through, but it's just the wall of silence that I'm, I'm, I've said, I've told my mum this and it's just like, for the first time in my life, I actually don't know how my family feels about me. It's, and it's never, it's something that I've never had to consider until now because I always had a rough feeling that they were proud of me and they, uh, they were proud of my achievements personally and through work and, and whatever else I was going through. And now I don't know if that's the case on top of everything else. But yeah, it's just that you know, occasions like birthdays and, and Christmas and stuff like that, when normally I would see them um, and I, now I don't. And yeah, it hurts, um, especially when I think this is arguably one of the most exciting times of my life and they're not getting to share in it. And um, I try not to be spiteful and turn around and go, well, it reflects worse on them than it does me. And I've done nothing wrong, which I haven't. Um, but it's, it's still hard to kind of, still hard to, when I've had to, when I've felt so apologetic about how I felt for a very long time, it's still hard to cross that boundary and not be apologetic to my family when they haven't accepted me fully. So, um, I'm, I'm not writing them off. Um, but I will, be honest in saying I've moved a part of them out of my heart a little bit because I would go through cycles where it'd be a, you know, every month or six weeks, it'd be a Tuesday night. And I would just find myself crying for no reason because I haven't heard from my family and I don't know when, if, or when, or if I ever will. So it's not ideal, but, um, you know, I still wouldn't change things. And I hope that one day they can kind of come around a little bit and start to learn and, and start to get to know me again in a different way. But I'm still, a lot of the things that I still, I, I'm, I stand for are still like, I haven't completely changed. I, but it's, it's a lot to take in, but I hope that one day we can kind of reconcile. Yeah. Rejection hurts whether you're queer or straight. Um, so I can't imagine what you're going through with the ones that you, uh, were around your whole life and have so much love for, it's incredibly difficult for you. Uh, and I hope they do too. Yeah, yeah, I hope they do. It's just things like I lived overseas for two years. I lived in England and I saw them more often than when I lived on the other side of the world via Zoom than I do now. And they live three hours up the road. Um, obviously, COVID's probably pre preventing us from seeing each other anyway at the moment. But um, even if COVID just suddenly disappeared, I'm, I wouldn't be going home to see my family every weekend because... I don't really think they want to see me right now to the point where 
I, for Idaho Day this year, I actually got interviewed by um, Channel 9 down here in Canberra and I asked the, the TV journalist, like, oh, is this going to be a pack? Is this going to be sent out to different bureaus? And they said, oh, it's going to be sent across New South Wales. And my brother, who lives in Yass, would obviously get Canberra news. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of their feelings so much. I, I sent my, my family a text and said, more specifically aimed towards my dad and my brother. And I said, look, I'm going to be on the news tonight. And if you don't want to see me, don't watch the news because they literally haven't even seen a photo of me since I've, you know, started to transition. So they've, as far as I know, they have no idea what I look like. And I was trying to think of their feelings at that point, but and then I got no thanks for that or no acknowledgement that I was trying to do that. So it's just things like that that hurt. But again, I hope that one day they can come around and hopefully see the error of their ways a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that um, it sounds like that's been a really tough part. The positives, I feel, from your story are outweighing the cons right now. And I think um, self-happiness is one of the most important things. And that's probably another reason why I think it's so important to have um, people from all different backgrounds and people of all different sexes to be speaking on Real Talk. Because someone told me recently, um, if you don't grow up with something around you and queer um, people in small towns is not something that you're uh, exposed to all the time, no, no. but something that you may feel more comfortable with if you just continue to see it. And the world is changing to make everybody feel more comfortable, but it seems it's a very generational thing. It, it is a very generational thing. And again, my, my dad's like a multi-generational farmer in his early 70s. And so that case in point, you know, like I, I, may, I have made this joke a few times, but the only kind of diversity that I ever had growing up were Paul Hereford and Angus, which for anybody who doesn't know, they're breeds, they're breeds of cattle. That was, the, that, was the only, that was the only diversity I had growing up. Um, me trying to make light of my situation. <laughs> and I'm also thinking to all the city people listening, they've probably got no idea that they're breeds of cattle, but Yeah. Well, that's why I put the qualifier in. So yeah, they probably just look at they probably just see rump or porterhouse and it's like well, Wagyu. Anyway. <laughs> Wag well, exactly. But um no, like I, I understand and that's why I'm I'm really proud to be visible because you know, visible at and at the NRL and as far as I was told, I was the first openly transgender employee the NRL ever had. And that was kind of covered in the story that went out earlier in the year. And, you know, even like I've gone back to university and um, I'm studying exercise physiology and rehabilitation at the University of Canberra. And, you know, there's parts of the uni curriculum that I'm pointing out as like, well, this needs to be a bit more inclusive and then even my lecturers are going, well, yeah, you're right. And then this needs to change. And, you know, I'm getting recommendations to do um, masters or PhD work and some of the things that I've raised. Um, even, even like the part-time jobs I'm doing to put myself through uni again. Like I've had some of the most amazing sort of interactions with people, you know, um, for one of my jobs I have, I work in a very busy shopping center where you know, on a, on a decent day, 30,000 people pass through the mall. And the number of times I've been, um, it's like, oh, you work at Westfield, don't you? 
so I, if I had a dollar for every time that's happened, I'd have about $87. It's happened so often. <laughs> Need to ask for more than a dollar. I, oh, yeah, I know I should start giving away like $20 for a, for a photo and an autograph. But seriously though, <laughs> but seriously though, it's, um, you know, it's just those things. Again, it's that normalization and that if people hopefully, and that's why I appreciate opportunities like, you know, coming on and chatting to you, it, you know, and I think for a lot of my friends who knew me before I came out, like I, as far as I know, a lot of the time, like I might be the first queer person that they, they've met because of where I grew up. Maybe not. Um, or maybe the first trans person. And so I know it's why I appreciate opportunities to like my story on NRL.com to come on your podcast today of just like, hopefully some of your you know viewers or watchers or listeners, if they've never seen or heard from a trans person before, hopefully they can just listen to what I've said and realize like, oh, she's pretty normal, you know, got hopes and dreams and likes having fun with her friends and likes bad reality TV and sport and, you know, all the normal things that everybody else does. Like I, I've just taken a different path to get here than most other people. Mm. You say it so well, the journo coming out in you, I swear. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I know. It's like, anybody think I used to do this for a living? <laughs> <laughs> so for people who are listening and going, uh, I still... I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand how somebody just can't be a boy or can't be a girl. What do you say to those people? It is hard because if people have never had to question, you know, their gender or their sexuality, it's, it's, it is quite difficult, but it's, it's like an itch in the scratch of your brain, at the back of your brain that you can't scratch. And there's just something, you just feel like something's wrong with the world. And it goes deeper um, than just like, for example, you know, around that time that you mentioned that you kind of met me for the first time, you know, I, I really hated my reflection in the mirror. And it's not just like, I know we all kind of have issues with our bodies and we wish something could be better or smaller or bigger or whatever. But it goes though much deeper than skin deep. You know, I didn't see a person that I, I identified with. Like I didn't like how my body looked. I didn't even like the clothes I was wearing, you know. Um, and it's, I don't have a great answer to that question, to be honest, because, you know, it's, the only kind of answer I would say is that, you know, if people kind of hold on to these ideals of what, is male and what is female and even like just the societal encoding of gender that boys are blue and, and girls are pink and if you actually do history if you look back on it, it the colors used to be flipped about 120 years ago so not that long ago really where boys would be pink and girls would be blue so it's not even that long ago in recent history things like that were were not held and you know people need to understand things even as something as basic as clothing does not have a gender you know if you think about why you know why why can a you know female presenting person wear a skirt but then if a cisgendered male wears a skirt everyone just freaks out it's like it's just a bit of fabric it's what the it's the external meaning it is it literally is or shoes or makeup or jewelry or whatever it's the external sort of imprint that we put onto that. That's like, oh, you know, guys don't wear that or girls don't wear that. It's like, who says? Who says? 
So it's that's a bit superficial, but it also speaks to a deeper meaning of, you know, this is the stuff I, I kind of had to go through and unpack and, and learn. And, you know, this is all still relatively new for me, but it's still important for me to kind of figure out what do I like? You know, what what kind of person do I want to be? You know, when I'm not only... I'm changing how I see the world, but obviously how the rest of the world sees me. So, I mean, it's not a great answer. It's a bit long-winded, but <laughs> I just hope that people are understanding that, you know, um, gender and sexuality are spectrums. You know, I understand that most people live at one end of that spectrum, but, you know, it's okay for people to express themselves however they want because, again, you're only around for so long and you don't want to be you know, miserable because society puts you into a box and that's not the box you want to be in. You can be anywhere you want to along that spectrum. Yeah, I think that's a great way and it wasn't long-winded at all. I think it's just asking for a bit more understanding, asking for a bit more understanding, making people think twice about that whole society realm and what we should and shouldn't be because you're right. What is it with fabric? I do believe that the younger generations are a lot more comfortable in themselves and um, kind of don't give an F-U-C-K. Like, they're just very true yeah. to themselves, which I like. What are you enjoying most about now being in your own skin and being Holly? There's a lot of things, like, because I... That's a great question, actually. And because it's not all doom and gloom and, like, it's not all abandonment from family and, you know, I won't... You know, don't get me wrong. That stuff still exists, but... Like, there's just so many positives. Like, you kind of even, and this is part of what I've had to unpack as well a little bit, really looking at what I used to do, like activities, what I used to wear, you know, even what the food and drink I used to, like, consume when I was, like, in my early 20s or something. But why was I doing that? Was I doing it just because of the um, where I grew up and what was expected of me by society? Like... Yeah, I grew up in a country area and I played rugby union and I drove a ute and I drank rum. It's like, well, that's as bad as cliche as it gets. And it's like, did I really enjoy all of that? <laughs> you know? So now what do I enjoy? Like I enjoy, you know, fashion. Apparently I've got a very good eye for fashion. And a lot of my cisgendered female friends are like, where did you get that jacket? Where did you get those shoes? Um, so apparently, <laughs> so apparently. I'll show you my Instagram later. You'll you'll freak out. No, um, I've been looking at your Instagram. <laughs> I've been loving it. So yeah, like, so yeah, so like, no one taught me this. You know, um, I love my mum, but mum didn't sit me down as a, a thirteen-year-old boy to teach me how to like put an outfit together. You know, I had to teach myself how to do makeup because I love I love playing around with that stuff. Like I, I. You know, I love drag, for example. You know, here in Canberra, a lot of my friends are performers and, you know, pretty much every weekend I'm going to one of their shows um, and supporting them. Incidentally, my girlfriend also does drag, so I'm always there supporting her as well. Oh, so, okay, you got you a know. girlfriend? <laughs> well, okay, you just put yeah, that in there, Yes! <laughs> just sort of snuck it in there a little bit. Oh my um, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah and she's... Um, you know, she's been amazing. Um, I, and I guess that's part of the reason why, like, it took me a while. Like, oh, no one's going to want to have a, you know, be a partner with me. And then I found this amazing person 
and you know she has accepted me entirely and she's just such a great positive influence in my life we have so much fun and yeah so I mean that that makes it I no doubt a lot easier in having somebody to share life with and you know I support her and all the things that she does so yeah it's just opening myself to like what do I want to enjoy not like and it's kind of funny what you were sort of saying before about you know the the behind the eyes thing like people have said things like you don't feel like you're trying to fit into a mold of what people think you should be and like this is external um feedback from people like they're noticing things in my body language and kind of how I talk and stuff like that and they're people they're just like oh it's like this isn't an act like I'm not all this stuff in, is inherently in just innately pouring out of me and it's like I'm not having to consciously think about what I'm doing and saying anymore so yeah there's so many little things and just interacting with people in a much more I guess natural kind of way and yeah just uh, like I can like everything I can still like rugby league and I can also like you know doing my nails and doing at the same time doing my own shellac nails while watching the Raiders like that's a thing I can do (laughs) yeah you can do whatever you want even by just meeting you when back in 2019, you know how I mentioned the dead eyes and mm. even the way you presented yourself, the way you spoke, you came across as sure, sad, but just like a chiller, like even the way you spoke was monotone. So now when I talk to you, there's so much life about you. You're wearing, you're wearing makeup, you know, and like you look great and you're happy. You've got your nails done. You're in maroon. Like... <laughs> Come on, there's so there's so many, and I can only I, see the the physical side of things here. But yeah. I know you're wearing high heels. You know, we've spoken about you mentally feeling a lot better too. So the yeah. pros are pros are up here. The cons are you know pretty yeah. down the bottom. Yeah, no, they definitely are. Like, you know, nobody, you know, I I haven't talked to a single. And yeah, the road is bumpy for a lot of queer people who come out. It's not always smooth sailing. It can be for a lot of people, but once people kind of come through that rocky period of actually telling people and the world kind of being in flux for a little bit because everyone's... It's like when you're telling someone you're coming out, it doesn't matter how you're coming out, whether it's sexuality or gender, no matter how the person reacts, your life's going to be changed forever, for good or for bad or somewhere in between. So once you get that through that period, like I, I just now find myself smiling sometimes for no reason. And it's actually to come yet again back to that metaphor we've talked about of dead behind the eyes i remember once by a, a photographer asked me he's like oh can you smile like this is before i came out and he's like oh can you smile with your eyes and i'm just like what the hell does that mean <laughs> and i was trying to do it and i must have been pulling some weird face because we all had a laugh about it and i looked back at the photo and i was like oh that's at the time i was like oh that's kind of weird but now it's an expression I use all the time that I smile with my eyes and people, longtime friends of mine and stuff like that. When I post selfies online, because like I now actually in this kind of ties into what you like when you ask me, what do I like and what's good about, you know, coming out? Like I now feel confident in my own body, you know, and this sounds a bit, again, it sounds a little bit up myself, but for the first time I actually find myself sexy and, you know, when before I, I never really thought it, I was like, I would just see my body in, in a mirror or something. And I'm like, oh, there I am. And that's about it. Like I never had innately had that kind of confidence in myself. And, 
and now I kind of understand why, and now it's changed. So, look, yeah, the pros are definitely through the roof. I still get to pursue a lot of the things that I wanted to do. Like, I'm very grateful that, you know, jobs and things like that weren't taken away from me. Like, the NRL supported me. My other jobs have supported me when I've applied for them as my authentic self. Hopefully, in about four or five months' time, I'll graduate with my new degree. I can get to start a new career. So, yeah, the future looks really bright, and I'm really happy. And, you know... Hopefully some of the negative things clear up soon, but if not, I'm not going to stop being me. I'm not going to slow down for anybody, really. Good. Never do. I feel <laughs> like I am taking all of your time and I'm going, oh, my God, I still no, have to ask you two quick questions. But people no, are ask go, away. I've got all the time. Okay, okay. People are going, uh, so what's this got to do with sport? Well, you worked part-time for NRL.com and you covered the Raiders very closely. Now, just uh, briefly run us through how difficult that was or how easy it was coming out to a group of what we would classify alpha males. Yeah, I mean, as you kind of, as we've alluded to, like the first two seasons where I would go to every press conference, like I'm based down here in Canberra and I pretty much exclusively, you know, cover the Raiders as part of the NRL.com uh, new media arm that got brought into existence a few years ago. And yeah, I'd go to all the press conferences during the week. I'd go to home games. I'd be in the sheds, you know, talking to guys after games and obviously visiting teams and things as well, visiting coaches and, and Ricky Stewart. And so, yeah, they, they had this preconceived idea of who I was. And, you know, I had a really good working relationship with all the players. And, um, you know, but then again, when I kind of told um, you know, our former bosses um, at NRL.com of like, this is my plan. They were great. Uh, I can't, as I kind of alluded to in the story that went on the website a few months ago, like I couldn't have been supported better um, by the whole team. Um, you know, I, the team kind of got word that something was changing when I, I changed my name on my Twitter bio and apparently a couple of the players went to Ben Pollock, the media manager, and went, oh, what's this about? <laughs> so... Um, Social media. So yeah, like, I know it's got the reach. Well, I was actually kind of just pleasantly surprised that any of the Raiders players looked at my profile or anything I posted. So I'm like, oh, okay, they read my stuff. That's good. Um, <laughs> but no, so like the club and um, yeah, NRL.com, they arranged a meeting. And so pretty much the players had a bit of an inkling what it was about. Um, but yeah, like, as you say, you know, there was pretty much the entire NRL extended squad, plus all the associated staff, trainers, pretty much everybody in the club um, into piled into one room. So I won't lie, that was pretty intimidating. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Ian Roberts also came down to kind of just give me a quick intro, which I can't thank him for enough as well. Like such a sweetie. And T did that for me just as a... a, a a link between a former player and obviously, you know, now very much an outspoken uh, gay and queer icon in, you know, inclusivity in sport and in Australia. Um, and yeah, I, I told them a, a smaller version of what we've done here today, my story. And, um, you know, a couple of players asked questions and then a couple of them just gave me handshakes and that was kind of it. And we moved on. And, um, you know, my time there over the last couple of years has been interrupted unfortunately a fair bit with COVID um, and if I do get a full-time job with my new career then I'm not sure if I'll be able to continue but um, it's been great like 
uh, just a really, really quick story about just how well it has gone. Because I really, as you say, the NRL, unfortunately, always hasn't had the greatest relationship with cisgendered women over the years. And then I'm stepping in. I'm like, oh, this could go a million different ways wrong. But I wanted to try. I wanted to give it a go and just see if it didn't work. Well, at least I could say I tried. Um, but really quickly in terms of like how good the guys have generally been, even though they've only seen me periodically because of COVID, like when the Raiders lost to Newcastle when they went over in, uh, over in Wagga earlier in the year, and it was like the fifth loss in a row they had. And um, unfortunately, Jack White got tapped on the head to go and talk to the media um, after the game um, from the Canberra side of things. And, you know, he, he didn't want to talk to us. Like they just lost five in a row and they were on a bit of a slide. And, you know, there was two male uh, journos alongside me. And Jack went to go, he went to say, I could see what he was about to say. He was about to say, come on, boys, let's hurry up and get this over and done with. But he stopped himself before he said it and goes, come on, boys and girls, let's, let's just get this show on the road. So he stopped him. He knew what he was about to say. And even in that moment of intense disappointment of having lost another close game that they probably should have won, he still stopped himself and corrected himself and gendered me correctly. And like I made note of that and I told the club afterwards and I said, oh, look, can you just thank Jack for me for that? Because like I appreciate... I'm not a professional sports person, and but I can appreciate the pressure that they're under. And when things aren't going well, and as, as they generally haven't sometimes for the Raiders this year, you know, Jacks didn't have to do that. And I wouldn't have ta- I wouldn't have blown up and I wouldn't have got angry at him in that moment. So I'm like, yeah, he doesn't want to be talking to the media because they've just lost again. But in that moment, he still corrected himself and it meant the world to me. So that's just a very little anecdote of, you know, how well it's been, how well it's gone. And, um, you know, if this is indeed my last year covering them, um, which it might be now that COVID's wrecked things again a little bit in terms of like not, you know, have games at GAO. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll appreciate everything that was done to try to make my time there as, as comfortable as possible. And hopefully I'm not the last trans person to work at the NRL.com and, or the NRL, I guess. And just hopefully other people can see that it's possible. Yeah, you can work anywhere no matter what you are or what you go by. And I love that Jack mm-hmm. did that because, see, it's a little thing, but it goes a long way. Um, last yeah. question. So you mentioned the, yes. the physical appearance and changing into Holly. What's happened now? Like, do you did you want to lose weight? Do you want to be a certain um, – do you take certain steroids? Like, this is probably getting personal, but I did watch a couple no, no, no. of your – YouTube videos and I know you'd gone to see a GP about taking some sort of hormones so where are you at yeah so yeah so basically transgender people can undergo uh, medical transitioning and this looks different for a lot of different people and I also just want to sort of put it out there that this isn't a prerequisite um, you don't need to undergo medical or any kind of physical trans like um, in transition or um, to be trans but for me, it was more, um, again, I wanted to see if this fit my mind and body. So essentially, yes, I've been on hormone replacement therapy for about 18 months. Um, and what that involves is me taking a testosterone blocker and then also taking a synthetic form of estrogen to kind of essentially give me um, an endocrine system that's very similar to a cisgendered woman. So it's effectively like I've been going through puberty for a second time in the last sort of 18 <laughs> months. <in>. So. <laughs> <laughs> actually this one's been pretty good this well, one's actually probably better than the first one 
I know. All the emotions have been, you know, I, I cry even more now than I used to before. Like, I'll see a puppy on, like, huge, on Instagram and I'll be like, ah, and start crying. Um, I should have laughed. No. <laughs> Puberty sucks. <laughs> I know. So I'm going through it again in my mid-30s, which is awesome. But, no, it is actually really good. And, like, um, you know, I think that just only reinforced this is actually very much me because, like, I haven't felt bad or run down or if anything I've got more energy and I feel more alive and you know as you can appreciate you know um I've lost a little bit of weight but that's just because it's moving around you know fat patterns are moving you know from a more traditionally male pattern to more traditionally female um you know my skin's better hair's growing um you know and it's it just affects me sort of mentally in a way that like, again, it's, I move through space more confidently. Like I talk with my hands more and this is not me thinking about it, doing it. It just happens. Um, so yeah, as I said before, I actually kind of find myself a little bit attractive now, which is again, a weird thing to say, but it's like, it's something, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people can or do feel about themselves. So and it really sucks that that's the case, but I'm, you know, loving the skin I'm in. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for what the future might hold in that regard as well. Holly, you're alive. <laughs> and I'll use my hands as well because it makes me so happy. That was <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much for being, I guess, brave enough and free enough to have a chat with me. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. And hopefully people either learned something or were just entertained by my craziness. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Katie. Team, if you enjoyed that one, like and subscribe for me and don't forget, we're here for a real time, not a long time. <laughs>